Good morning, it's good to be with you this morning, and I'm glad that you're here worshiping if you're new today. It's a little bit of a departure from our normal. We are in a continuing study in 2 Corinthians. Today we're setting that aside as it is the the week that we typically uh, try to celebrate the Lord's table. The time of remembrance and where the body of believers come together to celebrate uh, what Christ has done. And it occurred to me as we as we kind of move up to this time around the table, there perhaps are some questions about what we do. We don't pretend that everyone knows precisely why we set aside certain Sundays and special days uh, to come as a church to this table and, and these elements. And we don't take for granted that everyone understands that. Uh, there are lots of different backgrounds here, of course, and uh, most understand, I think, the general meaning of communion, perhaps, an understanding of how the table would look, and maybe something in your mind of uh, regalia and all kinds of things going on. Because uh, what's gone, going on here has really been corrupted, certainly by external religions like the Catholic Church and flowing from them several other denominations that have distorted the meaning of communion and of baptism to make them really unrecognizable in compared to a straight biblical rendering and understanding. And so I want to take a few minutes this morning as we look to 1 Corinthians 11, you can turn there in your copy of God's Word, to help our worship with understanding about why we worship in this way around the table. Celebrating the Lord's table is um, and was a regular and cherished practice in the early church. Believers remember Jesus' purpose for coming to earth. They celebrated their common salvation. They celebrated eternal life. They celebrated um, that which gave them spiritual oneness. That's an important factor in the church today. Still, spiritual oneness just means that all those who worship together are in the word each day, that all those who worship together are keeping a short sin list. They desire to walk in obedience. Spiritual oneness comes from aligning ourselves with what we understand the word says, what it means by what it says, and then applying that to our lives. And part of spiritual oneness is coming to the table regularly for a reset, for a remembrance, for a time of, of introspection. And we'll see these things in just a moment. So today we're going to address this wonderful part of worship of God through his son Jesus. And we're going to follow this up with the actual celebration of the table. But we're called to remember, and you might see that on the, on the slide. But in fact, you, uh, Luke chapter two, 22, verse 19, there's a lot of things we can talk about about the table. And perhaps we will over a course of time. I'd like to re- just remind you of some of these things that are important to know as we worship. But um, in Luke twenty two nineteen, Jesus is recorded as saying specifically to his disciples as he took the Passover bread in his hand and he broke it in pieces. He said, this is my body which is given for you as you eat it. Do it in, what's the rest of it? Remembrance of me, right? Do it in remembrance of me. So look, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says, uh, Paul is reiterating what he received by way of instruction from Jesus himself. So he says to the church, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. That's precisely what Jesus said, of course, as we see in Luke 22, 19. Paul reiterates that to uh, the New Testament church as he's instructing them, just like we are now, about what that's supposed to look like. So first of all, we're called to remember the Lord's suffering. It's pictured in the breaking of the bread. It's, uh, the bread we use today, of course, doesn't give us that picture because it's ready and packaged for you to take, and we do that out of convenience sake, of course, and, and for the sake of uh, making sure you're getting something that other people are not touching. 
But what Jesus did, of course, with his close disciples, he took matzah bread and he broke it in front of them. He said, this is my body, uh, figuratively broken for you. He breaks the bread, actual bread, and then he hands it out. So the picture is graphic for them, and they're starting to get the understanding that this is not a Passover like every other Passover, that this great redemptive time in history when the Jews were led out of Egypt, which is what Passover remembers, is changing to the great redemptive time now is going to be Christ on the cross. And you can just see, if you can imagine the scene, the disciples looking at him, this is my body which is broken for you, and he snaps the bread and begins to hand it out. And they're starting to see that something else is going on here. Perhaps now it's starting to help them realize what they've been celebrating all along was only a picture of the reality they're about to experience. Picture's graphic, uh, though I think, though, we have some inside information. We've all hurt at some time. We've all had some ailments. You know, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul tells the church that I may know him and mark it, the fellowship of his suffering. Paul said part of being a believer is to know Christ and have fellowship or participate in the suffering that's part of the life of a believer, which was illustrated by Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, we see... Um, Peter telling the church, he said, for you have been called for this purpose. He says, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So Christ suffered for us. We understand that suffering and we're supposed to remember it in communion. And then he said, that's an example for you to follow. It's not hard for people in Afghanistan to imagine that, is it? Because it's the reality of their life right now. Sometimes it's hard for us, so it's an important thing to remember if we're not in that situation. Verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Just to clarify, Peter said he wasn't being punished because he did something wrong. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. So he didn't answer back as he was, as he was provoked. While suffering, he uttered no threats. He didn't say, just wait until my angels catch up with you. Wait until your death, you'll pay forever in hell. He didn't offer any threats. He didn't give them any reason to hate him more. He took what came to him and entrusted himself, it says, to him who judges righteously. He knew the Lord looked and saw what was correct, and he himself bore our sin in his body on the cross. Here it is, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. So there's some, there's some motivation in understanding the suffering and understanding the broken body. When you're reviled, when you are rebuked, when you're made to feel inferior to someone else because of your faith, when uh, you're wrongfully accused, when you are spitefully used, these are all occasions for us to remember what it was like for him. So we can understand that, can't we? A little bit about what it's like to be baited, about what it's like to be ridiculed, uh, made fun of. And remembering the suffering, as Peter said just a second ago, we remember his broken body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by as soon as you're healed. So that's a remedy. The remembering of the suffering of Christ of the broken body of Christ is a remedy, isn't it, for willful sin? It should be. As we understand the reality of that broken body, that also is a remedy for willful sin and encouragement in our own time of suffering, uh, motivation for thankfulness, certainly, as we remember his suffering. So part of the table is remembering, and Jesus is very clear about that. Uh, he broke the bread in his hands and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when you take the bread today, then you can remember his suffering as we should. And then 25, it says, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood, again, drawing the attention back away from Egypt and all the things they've celebrated for, for so long, and now it's focused on Jesus. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, mark it, in remembrance of me. So we're supposed to remember the Lord's blood. Uh, the blood of Christ, the only thing that's able to cleanse us from sin. The song we just sang, Dark is the Sin that We Cannot Hide, What Can Avail to Wash It Away. There's flowing a crimson tide wider than snow you can be today, right? So the understanding of the mighty cross, which provides salvation for uh, people as they look to it and remember that it's the blood that provides that salvation. So we're called to remember the blood, the blood of Christ, the, the thing that's able to cleanse us from sin, the only path of forgiveness and a right relationship uh, with God. And, and the law and the sacrificial system all pointed to this future reality. And you can imagine, as we think about the Lord setting up his people in the land, and he is telling them uh, about how this whole process of the sacrificial system would occur, it wasn't so that he could somehow help them understand that by a blood of a bull or a goat somehow was going to save the individual that that blood was shed for. But it was to mark the severity of the sin all the millions upon millions and hundreds of millions of sacrifices over the years never took away anybody's sin. We see that, don't we, in Hebrews very clearly. But what we do understand, though, is the severity of the sin. That's precisely the idea as we think about remembering the blood of Christ. We understand the severity of sin. We, the God doesn't just brush it off as if it's not a big deal. It's offensive to a holy God. And when he looks at you through Christ, of course, we understand he's not offended because what? Christ has borne your sin on the cross. So he looks at you through Christ's righteousness. But in general, sin is offensive to God. We've forgotten that. We've forgotten a holy God who's offended by sin all day long. See, and it costs the blood of Christ. So we remember the blood because it is the picture then of how severe our sin was and how great our debt. It's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 is very clear. It says, Without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. We have been brought near, Ephesians 2.13 says, by the blood of Christ. Colossians 1.20, he has reconciled to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. When we come to the table, we remember his blood and the severity of sin and the consequences of that sin. And you might like this. The proper name for this is the cup of redemption. That makes sense, doesn't it? It's the third cup in the, in the Passover process. There are four that are served. This is the third one, and this is the one Jesus is holding when he says all these kinds of things. The four cups of the Passover really are an integral part of the Passover celebration, and, and each stands for one of the four promises the Lord makes to his people in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, and you can pick them out right away. Here's the first one. Uh, verse 6 says this, say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, I will, here it is, bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's the first cup. They remember that they're going to be brought out of those burdens. That's the cup of sanctification. Then it says, and I will deliver you from their bondage. There's the second one. I will redeem you. Here's the third one that Jesus is talking about. With an outstretched arm and great judgments. And I will take you for my people. Here's the fourth. And be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Isn't that marvelous? Jesus picks that third one, the cup of redemption, and he says, listen, this is my blood. This is what's going to redeem you. This is the power of God demonstrated to an ungodly, unsaved uh, world that hates me. So when the Jews would celebrate the Passover then, they would drink four cups. 
They would drink the first cup of sanctification. I'm going to bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'm going to set you apart for myself. Number two, the cup of deliverance. I'll rescue you from their bondage. Third, the cup of redemption, which is the one we're looking at right now. And then fourthly, the cup of praise. I will take for you as my people. And so the ministry of Jesus then fulfills those things, doesn't he? Uh, Jesus, the Messiah, speaks to each of these four promises. No doubt made it clear in the Passover celebration. We have the third cup, but no doubt we understand. Jesus sanctifies us. John 17, 19 says the truth sanctifies us. What is that truth? We're set apart not from the bondage of Egypt, but from the bondage of sin and understanding that Christ was buried and uh, was, was killed and then buried and rose on the third day. That helps us understand those things. You'll know the truth, he said, and the truth will set you free. And then Jesus redeems us, doesn't he? Well, when he, the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons, Galatians 4, 4 through 5. He redeems us. Cup of redemption. The power of God put on full display, Christ's blood as the atonement for sin. And then Jesus, of course, is our joy, that last one. I'm going to take for you my people, and, and, and you'll know that I'm the Lord your God. And there's great joy in Israel about that, and there's great joy around the table, of course. These things I have spoken to you, John 15, 11 says, that your joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. You're mine, always mine. That's always my source of joy. Joy is not, ever, that doesn't end in the life of the believer. Happiness comes and goes, but joy is based in the reality of whose we are and what has happened as a result of Christ's death, resurrection, and our confession and repentance of sin so that third cup that redemption cup is i'm going to redeem you with a demonstration of my power and and we don't like to think about a bloody religion today we don't like to think about the blood it may make you feel uncomfortable as we talk about christ's blood and that's only because you know satan and demons have have demented it it's been a part of pagan worship for centuries we even looked at some of that as our illustration for our sermon last week remember the walani tribe who had their own passover where they slay would slay a bull and then everybody had to eat the raw flesh and drink the blood so it's been, it's been destroyed, it's been demented by Satan. But no matter how much Satan has brought the blood sacrifice into a negative light, this cup of redemption or blessing representing Jesus' blood is good news. It is the way of salvation. There is no other. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We've brought, been near by the blood of Christ. He has reconciled to himself all things, making peace through the blood of his cross. And so that blood that flowed from his head and his hands and his feet and his side to the earth provided pardon for all men who would repent and believe. And thirdly, we are called to remember Christ's death. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. that's the next verse, look there if you would. For as oft as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. We're supposed to remember that. His body was broken for us, he suffered, his blood was shed for us. Real blood had to fall to the ground to wash us, he had to die. And that death was, of course, we understand now, of infinite value. It is the payment for the sin of all mankind for all time. He took the wrath of God on himself and satisfied God's justice with the shedding of his blood. He was the one who served, and he served by giving up his life. His love was action and the temporary sorrow of death. And we're acquainted with that feeling, aren't we? We understand the sorrow of death. We understand that... The wages of sin is death. We see an illustration of that every time someone that we know passes away. You know, this week, 13 U.S. servicemen were killed instantly by an explosion in Afghanistan. 
and I know that struck right to your heart like it did me. We pray, I prayed for their relatives and those that would receive that, that message. But can I tell you this, beloved? No one who died in the millisecond of that explosion wasn't going to die anyway. And that doesn't minimize their death by any way. And it doesn't, it doesn't mitigate the sorrow. And certainly we can say, well, it seemed to occur out of time, right? Perhaps those 20-year-olds would have had much more time to live, perhaps. But, beloved, no one who died there and no one who will wasn't already going to die, including everyone in this room. The issue really is, what have you done with Christ's sacrifice on your behalf? That's the issue. Because everyone is appointed to die once and after this comes the judgment. So we have to remember that no one who dies died, but wasn't going to to begin with. And so it's a very important, I think, distinction to make. The wages of sin is death. And we see that illustrated in death around us, but it is spiritual death as well, separation from God forever. We had sin, Jesus did not, so he received the wages for our sin and paid for them. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's an important thing to remember. Finally, we're called during this ordinance to remember the return of Jesus, which among other things shows his victory over death, and it also ensures that all those who trust in him by also get victory over death. What a joy that is. To understand as we remember these things, the sacrifice was effective, wasn't it, for those who call on his name. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. we are called to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See. John 14, 3 tells us, I go to prepare a place for you, and I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, that you may also be and I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Uh, Matthew 26, 29 tells us, but I say to you, I'll not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Just those assurances that he's coming back, that you're going to see him again, that you'll rejoice with him again is, is, the, uh, is the hope of every believer. It's the hope of every Afghani today who knows Christ. They, they don't have any guarantee of another tomorrow any more than you do, but they do know they have a long tomorrow, don't they? And that's with Christ. They know because Christ was raised, they will be also. Jesus spoke to his disciples, Luke twenty two twenty eight. He told them, and you and I, what to remember about his coming. He said this in verse 28. He said, you are those who have stood by me in my trials, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you a kingdom that you may market, eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you'll sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Listen, I, not only am I going to come back and get you, I've got work for you to do. I've got things for you to accomplish all because of this table. We remember his return and all the things that come along with that return and that should bring joy to us certainly that is unmitigated. And we look forward to that millennial reign of Christ and all who've been born again will eat and drink with him there. As we prepare for the table though, I think it's important um, to point out this table has no use for you. It has no benefit if you don't know Christ as your Savior. If you haven't come to a saving knowledge of Christ by confessing and repenting, this table actually has condemnation for you. It, it shows somehow you understand some little bit of Christ's payment, but you haven't assimilated that to yourself. And I would say that it has no meaning for you, it creates more condemnation for you, and not only will you not 
eat and drink with Christ at the moon of the kingdom, you will be in a place where there is suffering and wailing and thirst and where there is torment and punishment forever. And it will be because, be because you've remained in your sin and you've rejected the body and blood and death of Christ on the cross for you. Very simply. And of course, I, I don't want to see you there. I, I, I don't think you understand perhaps. And maybe you've set under teaching over and over again. Maybe you've read tracks, maybe you've watched it on TV, I don't, you know, it's really hard to know. Maybe it's come over you many times, but you've not responded. I, I would just say, you know, you're in, you're in jeopardy. You're in jeopardy. It doesn't have to be your fate, but it is your fate now. Under a curse because of your sin, even though Christ has paid for it. Isaiah again, 55.1 the general call for everyone to come, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. It's not God's will that any perish, but all come to the knowledge of salvation. Come, he said, come to the water, come to the waters and drink. You have no money, come, buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money or without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? He's talking to a wayward Israel who are doing everything in their power to fulfill themselves with things that won't last. And he says, why do you spend your money to do these things? Listen, I'm the one who's going to satisfy. I mean, it, it has much application today, of course, because we, we fill our lives with all kinds of things and, and it deadens us to the, 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 the emptiness that's in our own heart and our own soul and, and the fact that our our end is not going to be what we, hope, what we hope it's going to be. We know that we've sinned. We know that we, we don't even keep our own standards and our own expectations, let alone the one for a holy God. So we just fill ourselves and deaden ourselves with all kinds of stuff. And the Lord just calls out just like he did to Israel. He says, incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. Seek the Lord while you may be found. Call on him while he's near. He's near, beloved, right now. You have an opportunity to make peace. God has, through Christ, made peace. You can come and repent and confess your sins and be at peace with God. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way. You're going to have to recognize that, that uh, everything that you've been doing in your life is wickedness before the Lord. There's no goodness. Uh, there's relative goodness, perhaps, among you and, and uh, people that you think are worse than you, but there's no goodness before a holy God. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he'll have compassion on him and to our God, who will he abundantly pardon. Behold, Revelation 22 says, I'm coming quickly. You don't know how much time you've got. I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to every man according to his work. Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts, come. That's the message. You may have heard it before. Perhaps you understand more about what the table is about and what we're supposed to remember. But you have to respond. See? I don't want you to take the table in unbelief. I want you to move from a place of unbelief, perhaps a hardened heart, to a place of a soft heart where the Lord can make you new. You bow with me if you would. And we're going to move into our time of communion. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to be in your word today. We thank you for the blessing of the fellowship that is certainly rich among those who know your son. We thank you for the time we can spend worshiping you in song and in giving and in, in uh, prayer and in time reading the word, centering our thoughts on you and putting away all the, all the stuff of the week.
that we might come before your presence. But now, Father, we, we'd like to move into a time where we celebrate your table and we know that you've given us some instruction, which we'll see in a minute. So we really want to prepare our hearts for that. We don't want to come in to take the table in an unworthy manner. The most unworthy manner is coming in an unredeemed state. So today, if that describes you, no matter where you are, no matter how many times you've heard this, today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe. Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. That means he came and did everything he said he came to do, what everything he said about you and about himself and about the word and about God and about heaven is true. And he has the right to rule in your life. Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. He was put to death on your behalf for your sin. Confess that sin to him today. Repent of that sin. It means to turn away from it. You don't want to do it anymore. You're tired of running your own life. You want the life that God has prepared for you. The John 10, 10 life I have come. That I have life and have it abundantly. If you prayed that prayer, it's not complex. Simply the expression of a desperate heart tired of their sin, ready to turn, ready to receive refreshing from the Lord. You can receive that today. Forgiveness permanently one of God's children. If you prayed that today, then you can celebrate this table. If you didn't, beware. You sit in judgment already. You impose upon the Lord for more days when no one gets to do that, particularly those who have forsaken what he's done. It's my prayer for you that you will come to the knowledge of repentance, delivered from foolishness. So, Father, as we enter the table today, I pray it will come correctly with the right heart attitude. That you'll bless us with fellowship and communion through your Holy Spirit in refreshing. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, all God's people said. Amen.